Hello and welcome to Do The Franchise with me Jake and me James and it is our privilege to bring you episode two of our Director's Cut. We called it Director's Cut because we just thought it was an interesting different name. I've googled it, I don't think anyone else is doing it on a podcast so I'm having it. (laughs) (laughs) That's what we call research everybody. Absolutely, I search for podcasts I'd say at least three minutes. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's the legal requirement, isn't it? It's got to be at least three minutes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So last time, James, if you can cast your mind back, it was some time ago now, we did our first episode of Director's Cut where we did the films of M. Night Shyamalan. I think I'm saying that right. (laughs) Probably. (laughs) (laughs) No one really knows, do they? (laughs) He probably doesn't. He doesn't know. Um, and then we talked about those. We did our sort of top five. This time, James came up with the idea that we were going to do it a bit differently. So we'll talk about our new director, and then we will talk about our least favourite film by this director and our most favourite film by this director. And Ooh. James, I guess the logic behind this was this director in recent years has been somewhat of a bit of a hit and miss. <laughs> yeah, patchy. Patchy, we'll say. Yeah. Um, so the re- director we're going to be doing is Ridley Scott. I think it's Sir Ridley Scott now, isn't it? Uh, yeah, and I I feel bad describing Sir Ridley as patchy, but <laughs> facts don't care about his feelings, I guess. And uh, you know he is a great director. So oh, yeah. any any criticism that we give this episode should be taken with a pinch of salt. I'm just going to put it out there. I don't think Sir Ridley's going to be listening to this podcast. (laughs) I hope not. I I hope I don't offend. And uh, I I want it to be known that I've never made a multi-million dollar film. So I really have no right to (laughs) criticise. We're pretty sure it's not that hard, but we haven't done it. Uh, that's great so yeah it's great to be back on I'm so happy to be here I was just saying to James before we started recording I've got the uh, I'm in a spare room in my new house and it has yet to put curtains or blinds up in it so when I just sit here now in the afternoon I'm just getting completely bleached (laughs) by sunlight (laughs) I can't see anything I'm having to put my hand in front of my forehead to look at the notes that I've got written oh what a mess It's, it's your daily quota of vitamin D this is great Bloody is it's like a daily quote of radiation here, I think. Um, so, to start with Ridley, um, he is a phenomenal director. The, yeah, like you said, it's kind of hard to say a negative about him, um, given the back catalogue that he's got. Um, I thought I'd just read you this, James. I've got a couple of facts about his uh, starting in life. Um, Ridley was born in South Shields in England, uh, near Newcastle, into a army military family. Uh, his father was Colonel Francis Percy Scott, was an officer of the Royal Engineers uh, in the British Army. Um, he graduated from the Royal College of Arts in London when he was young, um, honours mm-hmm. in film and media. He did a master's degree at London International Film School where he shot uh, two shorts that won multiple awards. Uh, and he started his sort of directorial debut uh, in television, was for the Maxwell House coffee advert. Um, and I got a really cool fact. So the Maxwell House coffee advert starred uh, actress Shakira Bashk as the leading lady of the of the, of the show of the of the commercial. Um, and 
a young Michael Caine saw the advert and was so captured by the actress's beauty that he ended up uh, meeting up with her and the couple have been married for over 30 years. Oh. How good's well that? Done. Well done, Ridley. Yeah, he's a matchmaker. He, he's, he's, he's basically Scylla Black. Hmm. Yeah, he's more miserable than Scylla, though. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Ridley. Um, <laughs> he's definitely not listening. He could be listening. Definitely not listening. Um, yeah, definitely not. No. Ridley Scott suffers from claustrophobia. Um, this was a big influence on the conditions that he created to try and um, sort of emulate the feeling of claustrophobia in the film Alien. Um, ah. He wanted to make the cast as cramped as possible in the Stromo living quarters. I thought it was cool. Yeah. Um, <laughs> apparently, Sigourney Weaver complained on Alien, saying that Ridley cared more about his props and his set than he did for the cast. <laughs> <laughs> oh. um, yeah, brilliant. I mean, that's just a few little things. That's just my intro to Ridley. Um, and as I say, if we go through his catalogue of movies, he did an episode of Z Cars in 1965. Um, he did Duelists in 1977. That's kind of his big start, that big movie that everyone revered. Mm. Um, I've not, I've, I think I've seen the Duelists. This is really bad for us because I should know this, but I know it's got LB, Albert Finney and Harvey Keitel in it. I think I saw it when I was um, at college years ago. But um, yeah, that was kind of his starter. Obviously, the big one we get in 1979 is Alien. Uh, and that rockets his, uh, you know, both in a in a science fiction sense, but also his career, yeah, to new to new heights. And Ridley has often been hailed as kind of the father of science fiction when it comes to England. Like he did Alien, he's done Blade Runner. Um, it doesn't really get better than that, really, from a science fiction <laughs> influence point. No, I mean, I guess if you've got Blade Runner and Alien in your your portfolio, mm. having James and Jacob do the franchise, criticise you for your slight flops later in life, probably doesn't seem that bad. Do you know what? I wanted to say that because we were looking at this, uh, I listened to Five Live, um, I think last week, just in preparation for this, and you've got films like, obviously, Alien, Duelists, Blade Runner, Legend, Black Rain, Thelma and Louise. These are all massive films uh, of the late 80s, early 90s. And mm. then he kind of, like, looking at his catalogue, he did sort of one every year, sort of one every two years in some senses around the late 80s, early 90s. And then um, we get G.I. Jane in 97, uh, a couple of years later, Gladiator, bit obviously huge film um, at the time. Gladiator is one of those films, it won the award for Best Picture. It's one of those films that very few people haven't seen. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So... Yeah. I think in terms of if you're going to say Blade Runner, I think even Blade Runner is niche in terms of a back catalogue of films. And I would say that his films like Gladiator, um, maybe even The Martian, are much more out there in terms of mass appeal than than his science fiction films. Yeah. But if you look at this on IMDb, he kind of did... He did Gladiator in 2000, massive hit. Hannibal 2001, not so much. Black Hawk Down, 2001, same year, big film. Then Matchstick Men, small film, not very mm. big. Kingdom of Heaven, nah. Again, <laughs> mixed reviews, a good year, terrible reviews. American Gangster, fantastic film, brilliant reviews. Body of Lies, poor reviews. Robin Hood, mixed reviews. 
Um, Prometheus, again, mixed reviews. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone listening to this knows exactly what I mean. Um, and then The Counselor, Exodus, meh, mixed film. And then The Martian, Academy Award. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's yeah. ba- it's kind of bonkers, isn't it? And then and then Alien Covenant, and then All the Money in the World, which again was another Oscar uh, nominee, I think. Yeah. it's it's It, it seems to yo-yo, doesn't it? Backwards yeah. and forwards. And... Um, I think when you look at someone like Spielberg, who you could easily say is a contemporary, yeah, um, and he he would have years where he'd do you know Schindler's List and Jurassic Park in the same year. Yeah, mad, isn't it? Uh, so it's crazy, and it, it's I I don't think on on a good day that Ridley is any less good than Spielberg. I I think I agree with that. Yeah, it just seems. He's more inconsistent. Yeah, I think it depends as well on what kind of script you're attracted to. I think mm. a lot of directors will play into their own niche. I mean, a great example of that is probably like Wes Anderson. He makes Wes Anderson films. He's an auteur, young director who makes those kind of movies. And you kind of, there's an aesthetic consistency with all Wes Anderson, not only the way they're shot, but I mm. would say in terms of the progression of story, the story arcs themselves are all very typical of Wes Anderson movies Ridley doesn't have that at all despite being an auteur all of these movies are completely different they're all completely unique they all have completely different actors different scripts different settings different kind of feels and vibes to them um and I never yeah I just think that is kind of unique like if you consider that Gladiator came out in 2000 massive movie um obviously went to the Oscars Hannibal the year after I love Hannibal Mm. I think Hannibal's a great film. It was a sequel to Science of the Lambs. You've got Anthony Hopkins in it and Julianne Moore replacing um, Jodie Foster. But it it is one of those films that's kind of unassuming. And I kind of felt like if you didn't know it was Ridley, you wouldn't know it was Ridley because it's, yeah. it's a dark, nasty little film. It's really well made. It's really well paced. Um, and I just love Anthony Hopkins. But yeah, I thought it was good. And I don't understand why that hasn't sort of received the accolades. And then Black Hawk Down, again, that for me was a real big hitter in terms of what we associate with military films or, you know, combat films. Mm. Um, for me, it's kind of like Saving Private Ryan and Black Hawk Down. There isn't anything better than them. Yeah, I'd agree. And it, it just seems, in a way, um, I guess. In the same way that Tarantino does genre films, mm. Ridley seems to approach it in a similar way. Like he will do a, a military film, and he'll he'll do a sort of semi-historic film like Gladiator, like to an extent Robin Hood. You know, they, they've they've obviously got <laughs> narrative. Say, <laughs> <laughs> Be Na- narrative what you say by semi-historic, minor yeah. historic. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, well, they, they, they're, they're set in the past. Um, <laughs> obviously, they're, they're not historically accurate in no. in in many meaningful ways. Uh, but he he seems to attack genre films. Yeah. Um, but he's he hasn't got the. You can tell a Tarantino film. You can tell a Wes Anderson film. You you, yeah. you can't really do that in the same way with uh, with with Ridley. It's it's different. While we're on the subject of sort of, if you think about his more recent films. Um, I've not actually seen The Last Duel and The House of Gucci. I've heard good things about House of Gucci. I've heard mixed things about The Last Duel. Mm. 
and I probably should have nailed those down before coming on this podcast, but I will watch them, and I'm sure I'll enjoy them. All the Money in the World was the 2017 film that he shot. Um, it was completely shot with Kevin Spacey, do you remember? And then yeah. all the controversy came out about Spacey, and he had to go back and reshoot the entire film. Well, the entire character, Getty character, with, with the shot, with the scenes being replaced by Christopher Plummer, the late Christopher Plummer. And you're like, that's mad. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I was reading um, while doing the research that he's kind of, it's something he almost started. He, he, he's called the father of the director's cut. Okay. In some circles. Yeah. Because he basically uh, was one of the first directors to re-release a director's cut in theatres um, because of uh, Blade Runner. Yeah. And you, you can sort of tell that he is a bit of a perfectionist because... I've lost track of how many cuts of Blade Runner there are now. I think there's five. <laughs> I know that I've got the final cut on Blu-ray, and I think that for me is the definitive one. Now, and uh, absolutely, and when you think he's he had that history of recutting his own films, actually going back and reshooting a whole uh, set of scenes for uh, an actor replacement doesn't actually seem that mad. It's, no. it's, it's pretty much <laughs> par for the course, but at the same time, it's completely bonkers. Yeah. Um, you can, I mean, you can go on YouTube and watch portions of um, All the Money in the World with the with the Kevin Spacey insert, and it's kind of good. Like It's a good enough film. But apparently yeah. it was a toss-up between Plummer and Spacey at the time anyway. And I think right. Plummer was contracted to do something else at the time and couldn't do it. So they shot the whole movie. It was in post. Um, and then, yeah, Spacey's stuff came out. And, and apparently, like, they asked Ridley, what was the, what was the you know, feeling around the film at the time? What were you going to do? He's like, absolutely not. They're going to release it unless I reshot it because I just cut it straight away. And he was mm. like, and they kind of asked him, like, like no hesitation at all? And he's like, no hesitation at all. Gone. <laughs> <laughs> it's just I guess you've got to make those quick decisions. Yeah, crazy, isn't it? T- time is money. It really is. Yeah, House of Gucci. Apparently that was a project that he was starting in like two thousand and eight and he never got wow. around to shooting it. Yeah, and then it just kind of got pushed to the back. I don't know. One of those maybe he dropped the script down the back of the sofa and then dug it up in two thousand seventeen <laughs> or two thousand twenty during lockdown. <clears throat> oh dear. Well, he he's He's had a long career, for sure. Oh, yeah. So I think yeah. a few missteps here and there are, are, are allowed. Um, sh- shall we talk about our, our yeah. picks? Yeah, so James is going to give you his top film. No, sorry, worst film, least worst favorite film. film, and then top film. We did we, it the other way around. We're, we're going to end on a high. I don't want to bring people down. <laughs> um, <Yeah. laughs> so I, I chose two films that are... Kind of similar and separated by a decade. Um, okay. So, so this kind of illustrates the point that we want to make about how he's got massive longevity and really, really weird choices in filmmaking. So uh, the first film I want to talk about is out of sync chronologically because it's the latter film in terms of when it was made. So it's 2010's Robin Hood. This is least favourite. This is least favourite. Yeah. And... Um, <laughs> I, for for me, it was there, there's a number of reasons. I don't think any of the reasons that I dislike the film are necessarily down to like the technical aspects of the film. Yeah, it's well shot. It's pretty well written. Um, it's got a massive cast uh, 
you know, Russell Crowe <clears throat> leads a, an incredible cast. Yeah. But there's something that just doesn't hit with it. And it it could be that I have a deep personal attachment to the, the Kevin Costner Robin Prince Hood. of Thieves, yeah. Yeah, because, <laughs> exactly. Mostly because of Alan Rickman, but also because yeah. that, that film has that early 90s sort of action feel to it where there's lots and lots of cheese, lots yeah. of comedy, and it, it just feels wholesome. It does, it works. Ridley's film doesn't allow you to feel wholesome at any point. No, <laughs> it, I yeah, I remember going to see dour. it. It's very dour. It is. It's very dull. And mm. I think the first 45 minutes of the film, if I remember right, and it's a long time since I've... must must be, yeah, 12 years since I've seen it when it came out. Um, it kind of just does a pointless exposition of a character that everyone in the world already knows. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So it was like, we're going to reintroduce this character as Robin Longstride, um, blah, 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 goes to here, goes there, comes back, becomes uh, an adopted son of a rich uh, Sir Walter Loxley, blah, blah, blah. It's like, but we know all that. <laughs> yeah. And, it's like, what's and even the if, point? <laughs> it, it's it's so disappointing in, in, in so many ways because you watch it, you, you're seeing impressive visuals, almost... Mm end-to-end impressive visuals, uh, but they've got that sort of mid-2010s sort of smear of brown and grey sort of yeah. look to it. It's, it's Yeah, that, very, the tinted look over the top of the picture. It's very, very dull-looking. And all of this is in contrast with something I read that apparently Ridley Scott said the only previous Robin Hood movie he thought was any good was Robin Hood Men in Tights by Mel Brooks. That yeah. couldn't be more opposite to the film he made because <laughs> it's yeah. co- it's obviously a parody. It's a comedy. It's Mel Brooks. It's it it it's very very funny, but it's still a Robin Hood film. But it's like um, you said, it's like he's ignoring the law and pretending like he's doing something new. Well, yeah. he's not doing anything new because he's got the same characters in it. Like Mark Addy pops up as Friar Tuck, doesn't he? And yeah. um, like made Marion's in it and the guy Gisborne. There's nothing new about it except he said it's a new film. Can I just tell you really quick when it was being yeah. when it went into pre-production, people in Nottingham, my home city, got very excited because we got like I think Nottingham City Council or whatever was spouting about it, saying that acclaimed director Ridley Scott is going to be doing recces in Nottingham and around the Nottinghamshire area. Um, he's going to be making a film called Nottingham and it's going to be primarily about the politics of the time, the Sheriff of Nottingham, um, that era where Robin Hood was around. And right. it's sort of going to be a backwards tale told from the perspective of the people that Robin Hood was robbing. So basically the Sheriff and his men. And, yeah. the, and it was going to be a political medieval drama uh, called Nottingham, and the only nod was going to be that the character burgling them was going to be Robin Hood, and they were going to make big reference to him at the end, but it wasn't going to be a Robin Hood film. And I remember reading all about it in the paper and being really excited. Oh, it's kind of a new spin. It's kind of like a reboot. Yeah. They're going to they're going to shoot portions of it in Nottingham to keep it with the city, and they want to make the city make money out of it because obviously Nottingham's a big tourist thing for Robin Hood and blah 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 blah. And it wasn't that. It was a soft crappy reboot of Robin Hood that looked a bit like Kingdom of Heaven. Yeah, and it it I think that is everybody's disappointment with it. It's it's the fact that you you you're going into a film titled Robin Hood and yeah. you expect it to be 
Robin of Loxley. You expect yeah. it to be the Robin Hood. And what you end up getting is a story about a guy who pretends to be Robin of Loxley, mm. who, then, who then pretends to be Robin Hood, who sort of falls in by accident to a story about doing the right thing. Yeah. But he gets there by doing the completely the wrong thing. Mm. And it, he he isn't initially an honourable character. He discovers that he might be. So it just doesn't feel like Robin Hood at all. You know, when you look back at like the Kevin Costner Robin Hood, he's he's going back, he's doing the honourable thing. Yeah. But it's that's not this story. And um, a, a planned sequel apparently was cancelled due to the poor performance of the movie. And I think rightly so. Yeah, and um, you get the idea, because this is, I believe this is one of the last films that Ridley and Crow worked on together. Mm-hmm. And apparently on set, they didn't get on very well at all at this stage. Because they, they've done <laughs> several movies together prior to this. Yeah. Uh, but they didn't get, they were, um, apparently this movie soured their relationship. They were both given producer credits for the film. Um, so they obviously, I guess, had a, a large say in what was going on. Yeah. Um, and uh, apparently the only thing that's original, or the only thing in common with the original script that you mentioned uh, and the final product is the uh, character of the Queen Mother. Uh, mm. and, that, and, that, and she's the only person in the film that's, that was originally in the film in terms of, apart from the, the general beats about it being about Robin Hood. Yeah. Um, and the, the only saving grace that I found when researching the film was George, the horse that Russell Crowe rode in Gladiator, <laughs> appeared in this movie. And uh, <laughs> equally, Rusty, the white horse in this movie, worked with Crowe again in Les Miserables. So Excellent. apparently, apparently uh, Russell Crowe claims that both horses recognised him even after 10 years. Not with the amount so- of timber he puts on. <laughs> <laughs> no so- way. So that that made me giggle. I was like, okay, so at least the horses had a good time making the film. Uh, it doesn't feel like anybody else did. No. Um, and and I think that comes a- across in the film. It doesn't feel like a film made with love. It feels like a like a contractual obligation. Like they were told yeah. you need to make a Robin Hood film, so they did, and that's what we got. <clears throat> we got something that was meant to. It's that horrible phrase that um, I think a lot of people have heard from when Ryan Johnson was making up his excuses about Star Wars, where you, you hear this phrase a lot, circumventing your expectations. Yeah. And, and that's supposed to, in some yeah. cases, feel rewarding, but only if it's done cleverly and only if it's actually rewarding. If what you get <laughs> when you've yeah. circumvented your uh, expectations is a less good version of the thing you wanted then you're still left with a less good thing than you wanted that's yeah. just different. And, yeah. and I think that's what Robin Hood is. It's it's the last Jedi of Robin Hood movies. Love that. Um, I wanted to say, yeah, you were right. Um, it was it was Gladiator. Then five years later, he did A Good Year. Then he did mm. American Gangster the year after, Body of Lies the year after that, and then Robin Hood two years after that. So it was a lot of, there was a lot of Ridley... Russell action. Yeah. Um go on then James, what was your what was your best one? Well, I've I've made reference to it uh already, but my my favorite one from Ridley would be Gladiator. I thought you were going to say it was about the horse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just like the horse. I basically I follow that horse through Ridley Scott movies. 
<laughs> it's like a little family tree of movies with that horse in it. No, um, it is Gladiator, released yeah. in the year 2000. So it's 10 years prior, um, and it was the first time they worked together because uh, yeah. apparently uh, Ridley wanted somebody fresh-faced to play um, Marcus Willis. Yeah. Uh, Maximus, yeah. So um, he wanted someone fresh-faced to do that role. Uh, and he, he chose, uh, obviously, Russell Crowe. Um, apparently, Russell Crowe admitted later he felt unworthy of all the praise and the Oscar for Best Actor that he got for this movie. After seeing the completed movie, he felt it was a director's film. Makes sense. Uh, yeah. And that the Oscar should have gone to director Ridley Scott instead. So this is where I think the massive contrast is. Gladiator, mm. when you watch it, comes across as a labour of love. I, I mean, to the point where um, it, in pre-production, uh, Ridley Scott would spend several months, apparently, developing storyboards to develop the framework of the plot. He, w- he was hand-drawing a lot of the storyboards himself. So hmm. it, it feels like Ridley had a, a deeper personal connection to this film mm. than he would have done, say, with, with Robin Hood. I um, love Gladiator. Um, oh, and I love yeah. it I love it for sort of two reasons. One, because it's got that epic um, turn of the century, sort of 1999 to 2000. It was the first big picture to come out in the millennium. Um, hmm. Everyone and their dog went to see it. Everybody was excited about it. Everyone was telling everyone about it. Um, and it not only does it have that the grandeur and spectacle that you'd expect with a film called Gladiator, but it also has that interpersonal story between um, the Maximus character and the Commodus, played by Joaquin Phoenix, and yeah. that jealous, jealous love of the brotherly, you know, divide. Because Marcus Aurelius sort of bestows upon Maximus that thing of "You're my real son." He's not really; he's my son, but he's not a yeah. real son. He's no one, and that bitterness that comes out between those two characters that just turns out to this huge story is great. Because it's at the end of the day, it's a really small story told on a big canvas, and I like that about it. It's it's incredible, and and they they really uh, in the film they 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 maximize everything with no pun intended. So uh, apparently, Ridley Scott visited the Colosseum and said, "This is a bit small." So in the <laughs> film, their Colosseum's massive yeah. in comparison to the real one. Um, uh, fun little facts: the movie was shot in chronological order, which isn't too common. Um, so a lot of the times, you know. Um, set pieces are filmed out of order in terms of what you'll see in the eventual film. But apparently mm. this film was shot in chronological order. So everyone had a good idea of the storyline as it was going along, which is really interesting. Um, the character of Maximus is fictional, but yeah. he resembles historical figures such as Narcissus, who in real life was the person who murdered Commodus. Um, okay. Yeah, yeah. So it uh, and it was a gladiator sent as an assassin to murder yes. Commodus. Uh, <clears throat> it, uh, he sort of resembles Spartacus, who uh, led a significant slave revolt. Um, and there is a uh, an, another character, Marcus, who was a trusted general and friend of Marcus Aurelius. Mm. So he's, he's a an amalgamation, yeah, yeah, of yeah. all these sort of real world people to tell this story um and you know 
fun things that there's a, a rumor that apparently Enya recorded some of the music. It, it isn't. Yeah. It's, it's a, a lady called Lisa Gerard who gets co-writing uh, credits for the soundtrack because um, she actually sang and composed a lot of the music on it, even though Hans Zimmer was the one who won the Oscar. That's funny, isn't it? Yeah. So uh, th- I tell you what I love about this film. I love the amount of alcoholics that are in this movie. Um, oh gosh, yeah. Uh, so Russell himself has had problems with alcohol. Um, yeah, as as is very well documented. Um, Joaquin Phoenix um, has had history with substance. Um, Oliver Reed died making this film while in a bar yeah. uh, in Malta. And then Richard Harris, yeah, who's <laughs> like the most drunkard actor ever. <laughs> and I'm not going to suggest for any any <laughs> point that uh, Russell Crowe and Richard Harris are the reason uh, Joaquin Phoenix may have gone down a darker path. Oh well, yeah, apparently, <laughs> yeah. Uh, apparently he was so nervous before filming some scenes that he asked Russell Crowe to rough him up a bit. Oh really? And apparently Russell went to Richard Harris and was like. What are we going to do about this kid? He keeps asking me to beat him up before we shoot. And Richard uh, <laughs> Harris says, let's just get him drunk. So, <laughs> so they got him drunk on Guinness. <laughs> they got him drunk on Guinness before see- before shooting a lot of these scenes. So- Never, ever ask Richard Harris for advice because <laughs> the advice <laughs> is always going to be, have another drink. Have another drink. Um, so... <laughs> So this film was basically a, a, a boozy romp through uh, semi-fictional, semi-real Rome. And it's great. It's well done. The At the time, it was criticised for not having all that much colour on screen. But when you compare it to what Ridley did with Robin Hood, this is actually a full spectrum of colour on screen. We get to see all mm. sorts. Um, in comparison to how dingy Robin Hood looked, so for me, it's a it's a better made film, made with more love, um, with a similar cast in terms of quality, um, and equally, you know, that the writing I think is much better because of the love that was involved in it, yeah. and and obviously you you get a much more satisfying film because the hero is a genuine hero. He's out for revenge himself, for himself, for an honourable reason, not because he's having to pretend to be somebody he's not and then get revenge for something he's not that invested in. (laughs) Um, (laughs) That's the best synopsis I've ever heard. (laughs) (laughs) So I think that's why this film works better than Robin Hood. Um, for me, anyway, I uh, love it, it. it. Yeah, so those are my 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 best and worst. They they run the full gamut of what Ridley's <coughs> capable of, really. <laughs> right, let me pick a part one. <laughs> okay, um, <laughs> your, your worst pick. I kind of did a toss up between two, and I'll let the listeners decide which one they think is worse. I know which one my brother is going to say when he listens to this, but um, I've put in worst Body of Lies and mm. The Counselor. <laughs> Um, they're not far apart in terms of their chronology I think um, The Counselor was made in 2013 after Prometheus Um, Body of Lies was made just before Robin Hood so it's like they both kind of they're just around that time where Ridley was hitting the missing and hitting and missing Um, Body of Lies funny enough as I said to you earlier was exactly a year after American Gangster and American Gangster has Russell Crowe in it 
It is a Ridley yeah. Scott film, and it is amazing. Like American Gangsters, almost in my top, my top. I think it's in like my top three Ridley films. I think it's fantastic. Um, Body of Lies is not. <laughs> no. And the reason for that is that really, when you boil it all down, it is boring. Um, it's a spy. Th- it's a spy thriller. Um, and this is this is how this is how bad this is, right? Because I can't really remember. I'm, do you know what? Screw it. I'm just going to read you the synopsis. A CIA agent on the ground in Jordan is hunting down a powerful terrorist leader while being caught between unclear intentions of his American supervisor and the Jordan intelligence agency. Bum 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 bum. Yeah. So that's the film. Uh, Leo DiCaprio plays a man on the ground in uh, Jordan. And Russell Crowe plays the man in the chair who is watching Leo through a bunch of military drones which are flying over Jordan. And he's like a CIA operative. And they both are. And it should be the most thrilling film ever. But it's so dull, James. I've watched it twice. I I think the second... I think I watched it on TV when me and Natalie first got together and I was like, I remember this one. I wonder if it'll be better the second time. It's not. (laughs) 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 It has all those ingredients that should make it great. Like, it's got Mark Strong in it. It's got Oscar Isaac in it again. Uh, it's got Leonardo DiCaprio, Russell Crowe. Um, it's got good names in it. It's got, yeah. a, you know, I think it's just the script. I wouldn't even say it's the way it's shot, because it's shot beautifully. Um, but it's that thing where you think, when Ridley sort of sat back and looked at it, does he not realise it is a bit of a yawn fest? Um, and yeah, that's that's my choice. I haven't really, I can't really tell you more about it, um, no. other than the fact that it's almost beaten in um, in its awfulness by the counselor. And the counselor is a very different film with a very good script. Uh, sorry, with a very good cast, not a good script. <laughs> uh, in, in counselor, we've got Fassbender as the main character, Penelope Cruz, Cameron Diaz, Javier Bardem. Um, it, and Brad Pitt, it should work. It's a, yeah. uh, is it a Jean Le Carré novel? I think. No, is it? I can't remember. Let me have a look. Oh, sorry, no. Cormac McCarthy wrote it, and yeah. Cormac wrote the screenplay, so he is to blame twice. <laughs> oh gosh! <laughs> and if you, if people listening to this want a bit of an insight into the writing of Cormac McCarthy, go and watch. Go, go and read The Road. And then go and watch the film with Viggo Mortensen because that mm. film is also extremely boring. Um, <laughs> it's powerful. I'm not going to say it's not. The book is better. It is a very. It's supposed to be grim. It's a post-apocalyptic thriller. But yeah. the counselor is about a counselor. Um, it's spelt with one L in the US. Should be two Ls. I don't know why they spelled it wrong. Um, <laughs> he gets involved with a Mexican drug cartel. That's the guy played by Fassbender. And then the film is him kind of trying to get out of this world he's got himself into in over his head. And you've got like a cartel character played by Javier Bardem. You've got a bad guy played by Brad Pitt. And it's uh, it's just so shite. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you know what I'm going to do if I can? I'm yeah. going to try and find you. This is, <laughs> this is how much I love this. Um, this is the great thing about the internet, ladies and gentlemen. So I'm just going to go to the Rotten Tomatoes page for The Counselor. I think it got ribbed, may have got ribbed by Ricky Gervais at the Golden Globes. I know somebody ribbed it in in the public arena. Give me two seconds. Ooh, I'll be ten minutes. Okay. Um, okay, let me have a read of this. So, 
<laughs> Sorry, James. So it has an audience score of 23% on Rotten Tomatoes. That's how funny I am. I just love that. I just think it's yeah. funny. Uh, I'm going to read the first review on Rotten Tomatoes for everybody. This is like watching a movie in another language. <laughs> <laughs> Mark Kermode, the Vibe Live and uh, Observer critic, who you probably will know, he's quite famous, he's put a rating on Rotten Tomatoes, which just says, blah, blah, bloody blah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What's this one? Um, Some will find this a head-scratcher. Others will be drawn into its uncompromising look at life and death in the cartel style. The counsellor is chock-full of talent. But despite this, the movie ends up leaving the viewers feeling empty. There are some nicely staged scenes, but the script is just full of rambling garbage dialogue. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just having a quick read through the IMDb reviews. Yeah, it's as good, well. isn't it? And yeah. I think this is going to be my new favourite hobby because I've just come across one that says uh, the, the title of the review is just Breaking Real Bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This one was from a guy called Marcus W, and it just says Inept. Boring, melodramatic waffle. (laughs) (laughs) So if anyone wants a film tonight, go and watch The Counselor. I guarantee you'll have fun. (laughs) Yeah, I think think you're going to just come away with some sort of headache. Um, Do you know what? I think think Counselor's going to win. I think Counselor's worse than Body of Lies because for all of the things that happen in Body of Lies, it does at least have more of a coherent story and a more coherent script. Yeah. The counselor has neither of those, so I'm going to put that at my my worst. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think that I think that's justly um, deserved. Oh, it's garbage, right? I am going to give us my number one. Um, yeah, I had played around with a few, as I said to you earlier, because I'm a big fan of um, Alien. It's one of my favorite films. I love yeah. Black Hawk Down. I love. Um, do you know what I really love American Gangster I really like Kingdom of Heaven there's an extended version of Kingdom of Heaven much better than the original Uh, really like that film a lot Uh, and The Martian again all in contention for my top spot all crying out for the uh, praise that they they should and do do get they do deserve that praise yeah but I'm going to go with Blade Runner for my number one good choice I think it it captured my imagination when I first watched it, and I was about probably thirteen when I first bought it. And I think I did. I think I bought one of the many cuts on DVD at the time. <laughs> I, I went into HMV, and there must have been five versions of the same film. I thought this is interesting, um, and I have now watched every single version of Blade Runner. But I just love it. I think it captures something of that dystopian future. It's got that. I mean, it's shot wonderfully. Yeah. Um, it just. Oh, it's just a great film. It's got that neo-noir investigator, 19 sort of 50s smoking cigarette sort of femme fatale vibe. It's got all that. It's set in a dreary future. It's raining all the time. It's full of neon flying cars and uh, paper horses. I don't know what more there isn't you know, to like about it. <laughs> no, it's it's basically perfect as a film. Mm. Yeah, I I don't think there's a, a scene in it that you would, especially in the final cut. And I know the irony of saying I I don't think there's a scene <clears> you could <throat> take away in a film that's been cut to pieces and rebuilt several <laughs> times. But in the final cut, I think everything 
has earned its place. Yeah, definitely. Brilliantly. I like there's a... Um, is it the final cut? They finally got rid of the voiceover um, bits. Yeah. And the film is better for it. It doesn't need the voiceovers. Yeah. No, it um, it, it, it doesn't need that. It's... It, it's the the final cut is sort of like the essential version of the film with nothing that's like the voiceover is just a bit superfluous. I think for me, what it was growing up when I watched it was I went into it thinking it was going to be a science fiction. I knew it was a sci-fi film. And I knew it was about a guy that's hunting robots. So that's basically the premise, isn't it? He's hunting, he's hunting replicant humans that are humanoid. They're robots. Yeah. Um, they've gone rogue and they're running around this sort of Los Angeles set in the future. And <clears throat> you get to the, you think it's going to be him hunting them down, killing them, blah, 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 which it kind of is. Yeah. But the separate story in Blade Runner is that Roy, the, the robot played by Rutger is kind of trying not to kill anybody he just wants to live longer because he knows that he's basically expiring as a robot and he's not gonna carry on and they just say to him like you know you've got a finite amount of cycles in you like a hard drive and you will eventually fail and that's the that's that and he just wants more life and that's what the whole plot he's driving so when you look at it from two angles you know you look at it from Roy's perspective then Deckard is the bad guy and if you look at it from Deckard's brainwashed perspective of Roblox then they're the bad guys and I just love how it comes together at the end and that it's not as clean cut and I remember yeah. thinking when I was a kid and I watched it and you get to the end and there's the bit in the rain with Rutger and 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 Deckard on the rooftop and you're just like that is not how I expected this film to end because of the way it's built up so well but ultimately that is the most beautiful thing about Blade Runner is it makes you reassess everything at the end and I think that's a great story yeah it's it it's sort of that thing where you get to the end of the film like you say and you you think about what you've just watched and you go that was there all the time yeah but I didn't see it at the time because you you up until that point you were <coughs> seeing it from a single perspective and then you gradually get introduced to this other side of, of the coin you go, oh, yeah, oh, that's clever. So yeah, I it, it's it's smart filmmaking. I like that the sequel as well is Blade Runner twenty forty nine, directed by the acclaimed director uh, Denny Villeneuve. That's also very very good. Um, mm. Again, it took me a couple of watches to get my head around what I'd seen in the sequel, which I think makes it more interesting. It's serviceable because it's so big of a first film. Following up with a sequel 30 years later, it had to have an impact and it had to be doing something different as well. And I think it does that. It achieves that really well. Yeah. Yeah. I think the first one is certainly more quotable. Yeah. The, the second one doesn't have any sort of, you know, it doesn't have the whole attack ships on fire type speech yeah. that the first one does. But it is still, in its own right, a really good film. So, James, we owe Ridley, no matter what, or. Blade Runner, because I think it's the yeah. gift he keeps giving to the world. Um, in terms of the future of uh, Ridley, didn't you tell me he's doing a sequel to Gladiator? Yeah, I, when I was re- reviewing, you know, IMDb gives you a list of projects that are upcoming. Oh, yeah, I can see Appar- it now, yeah. Apparently Gladiator 2, um, I, which <laughs> doesn't make much sense to me, because if anyone's seen the original Gladiator, <laughs> it's pretty yeah. conclusive in the way it ends. It is. <laughs> oh, that's funny. I um yeah I've enjoyed this one. I think this is a good a good director's cut. I hope everybody got something out of it. Anyway, I know I definitely did. I always enjoy speaking to you about directors. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, right, James, I think I'm going to call it a day. Okay, um, in terms of our next episode, we are going to be springboarding into a new franchise, and appropriately, it's a Ridley Scott film that we're going to be reviewing next. Um, yeah. We're going to be doing Alien, James. Alien. For anyone who was worried that we'd missed Alien out and we didn't yeah. like Alien for whatever reason, no, yeah. we just needed to spend more time with Alien. Precisely. We thought, well, we're going to do Alien and we're going to do the whole franchise and we want to do it as a big, you know, a big nod to what he made with that film and how influential it is. But I figured there's no point in talking about it in this forum. We'll wait no. until next week when we do it properly on its own. All right? Perfect. Lovely. Lovely. Well, I'll let you go, James. Thanks for that. Yeah. And uh, thanks for listening, everybody. As always, please follow us on Instagram, like and subscribe, and we can be sending you out more stuff. We're probably going to be smashing through a lot more of these now we're back on it and we've got a new franchise to delve into. Yeah. I, think we'll be, I hope we'll be pretty consistent with this now, won't we? That's our, Absolutely. That's our, that's that's a goal. our goal. <laughs> right, James. Right. I'll catch you later. Bye, everyone. See you later, Jake. Bye. 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 Bye.